0: Christian Blood, KTSA News. Is Christian Blood a uh,
1: cereal for dinner guy ever? You
0: know, back when I was
1: single, yeah, but my wife won't allow it anymore. Oh, okay. to carby? Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. How'd you know? Okay. Well, I wasn't... I mean, what, what other objection would there be, I guess?
0: And I'll tell you what, if it was going to be cereal, it would have to be something like really something that you would equate to a bowl of milk and wood chips not cocoa pebbles you know what i'm saying
1: oh i'm with you there i in fact i had a whole conversation with a much younger friend of mine i i i dropped the name grape nuts <laughs> yeah yeah and he was like whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute what 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 and i had to explain that it's there are no, no grapes involved <laughs> yeah. and i and then he said well what is it And you know I, i really don't know what it is i just know that it's grape nuts and it's good and i like it and it's supposed to be healthy, but honest to God, I don't that may be wood chips. I don't know. That may be sawdust from Yule Gibbons' picnic table. I have no idea, but uh but it's good. Does yeah. this
0: ever scrape up the roof of your mouth or you know, grape nuts?
1: No, I'm tough, oh. Christian. I have been eating them <laughs> I my got whole it. life now. I got you know. It. <laughs> but uh but if you ha- if you haven't heard there's a reason we're asking the question and we'll get to it coming up. It's in the news today along with many other things and, and good afternoon and welcome to our dreadful little show. Here in the tropics, I I love this weather, I just, it's a few months early, but I'm not complaining, we love it, we're glad it's here. So we got a lot to talk about today, and you can always join the show at 210-599-5555. Just remember, you, me, we're all a bubbling cauldron, okay, we're a bubbling cauldron of whatever it is that Bob Costas called us. The... um. The story over the weekend about the man that set himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy was something that I really didn't feel like even bringing up when I heard about it. And now it's been kind of thrust upon us. If you if you don't know, a 25-year-old Air Force airman named Aaron Bushnell um, intentionally set himself on fire. He died from from this. I think he was alive when they took him to the hospital, but he, he set himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. over the weekend, and he made a, uh, a video. He, he live-streamed it on Twitch and some other places, and he basically wanted everybody to know that he was doing this to protest what he called the genocide in Gaza. And he made a statement, and then he doused himself with something flammable and set himself on fire. He had been posting previously on social media, many of us like to ask ourselves, what would I do if I was alive during slavery or in the Jim Crow or apartheid? What would I do if my country was committing genocide? The answer is, he said, you're doing it right now. So that's what happened and it's terribly sad. And my understanding of that is he killed himself. He took his life, and uh, that is incredibly sad. That's not apparently how the left is going to play this one, and that's why we have to talk about it. Cornell West, who's running for president, who's the Princeton University, uh, University professor of history, and, you know, is supposed to be one of our great intellectuals. Cornell West tweeted, let us never forget the extraordinary courage and commitment of brother Aaron Bushnell, who died for truth and justice. I pray for his loved ones. Let us rededicate ourselves to genuine solidarity with Palestinians undergoing genocidal attacks in real time, which is Really sick, really warped. I, I mean, I, I know there's such a thing as personal morality, but I would like to think we all agree that when a person reaches a point where they are killing themselves, where they are taking their own life, and particularly if they are doing it in a very public way, There is nothing about that that should be celebrated or encouraged. Not to mention the fact that it doesn't achieve or accomplish anything. And giving it value is not too many steps removed from encouraging people to do it. Like, there are probably people out there who see the attention and the accolades, and what are we telling them? Yes, yes. Well, we're not telling them that, but Cornell West and people like him are. Then there began a whole discussion, and even Time magazine got in on this, and it, it pains me to say this because the history of Time magazine is that it's one of the greatest publications ever. It has a rich history. It's a it's a it's a uniquely American institution. It literally invented a form of journalism, which is pretty hard to do, pretty rare. But it's become a joke, it's become a parody of itself. And Time Magazine wrote a whole thought piece about Aaron Bushnell and how Christian martyrs often chose to be burned alive during the Roman Empire. Sort of suggesting that Aaron Bushnell is like the great Christian martyrs of the Roman era. You may already see the problem with this, but let me just point it out. The Christian martyrs were killed by emperors and other tyrants. What makes them martyrs is they were willing to be killed. They did not Kill themselves, and and if your understanding of martyrdom is that a martyr is somebody that killed himself or killed herself, you need to get some education because that's not what a martyr is. The, the they write this whole piece about the practice of self-immolation goes back to uh, you know Hindu tales from India um, in the uh, early uh, you know <laughs> several centuries ago. Um, they quote a New Yorker piece. Ed Morrissey did a great, uh, takedown of this at hotair.com. But all of this is wrong. All of this is wrong. Whether you're Catholic or Christian, or you just know your history, this is revisionist history at best, or just bad history. Christians were, Christian martyrs were people who were given the option of denouncing Christ or dying, and they were murdered because they would not denounce Christ. That is about as far from Aaron Bushnell as you can get. And I I just, I, I, what happened to not encouraging suicide? What happened to a society, a civilization that tiptoed around people who were or might be contemplating suicide and not in any way encouraging it are we so interested in making points on gaza that even this is okay are we going to start yelling jump when people are on bridges and the ledges of high buildings is that where we're at now like if they're if their politics are right then we want them to take the leap is that is that is that where we're at cornell west really A, an ivy league professor doesn't know this or are we so deluded by the, the times and the issues of our times that we know it, but we don't care about it? We're going to talk about that. 210-599-5555. I, um, I didn't watch Joe Biden on late night with Seth Meyer, but I read about it. And I'm not one of those people who thinks that Going to an event or going to a place is equal to action, so I don't need presidents to show up at the scenes of crises or disasters. So I want to be clear, I'm not one of those people who thinks that if Joe Biden doesn't go to the border, Joe Biden isn't doing anything about the border. But he has done nothing about the border except open it. He's done nothing except make sure that it's always the opposite of what his predecessor did with disastrous results. Now he's announced he's going to the border. He's going on Thursday. But this is a guy that had no time for anything else, but he did have time to go on an ice cream date with Seth Meyer. And again, I, I don't care. I didn't watch it. I don't care. I don't watch the show. I don't find Biden funny or entertaining. It's disturbing to me to watch him. I think anybody with a conscience and who cares about this country would would only be disturbed at watching this guy unravel, but but it is interesting to me that there is always time for ice cream with this dude. Middle of the day, middle of a crisis, middle of a war, dead co ed in Georgia, but always time for ice cream and always that ridiculous cornucopia size cone of ice cream. You know, not the little, not the little, uh, a little regular sized cone that we got when we were kids. Always the, you know, plenty 210, 599, 55, Do you remember how many angsting liberals there were when when Trump would eat a Big Mac? But this guy's packing in the ice cream and they're they're okay with it. Uh by the way, about the um the young lady in Georgia, Lakin Riley. The White House statement on her was I thought, awfully sparse. It read, we would like to extend our deepest condolences to the family and loved ones of Lake and Hope Riley. People should be held accountable to the fullest extent of the law if they are found to be guilty. Given this is an active case, we would have to refer you to state law enforcement and ICE. I mean, that's literally the least you could say about what has become a national story. It's the least you could put out. It doesn't say it's from him. It doesn't have the Jill and I. For once, he's not referencing his own, the loss of his own child. People should be held accountable is an interesting line because, as I said yesterday, I hold him accountable. I hold Miorcus accountable. I hold the people that are spinning this border accountable. I hold Republicans that refuse to act because this is a good fundraising issue and get out the vote issue accountable. Yeah, people should be held accountable. I agree with that line for sure. As far as the it's an active case, we're not going to comment. That didn't stop him from imagining what should happen to the Border Patrol agents who he thought whipped the Haitians. That never stops a Democrat from commenting on the death of a black man who encounters police officers within minutes of the bullets being fired, and that's an active investigation, every one of them is. They always have comments aplenty, right? They always know exactly what happened. Mass shootings, those are active investigations, but they always have total, the total political package is always presented immediately so there's really nothing restraining them from talking about Lake and Riley or saying more about it except of course that this the death of this young woman is so and I'm sorry to say this and you can you can be mad if you want to it is so inconvenient for Biden and the Democrats it is the last thing they needed and so That's why the statement is so cold and brief because they really didn't want to even have to say that. There are going to be more of these stories. There already are more of these stories. There's a a case in Virginia. They've arrested a guy on multiple multiple, uh, felony counts for sexually assaulting a child. There is and there will be many more of these. And they are part of this political discussion and solution of the border. They are not sideshows. They are not Republicans or or talk radio pouncing. They're not exploitative. If cops shooting a black guy is relevant to our national discussion on race, and we're told that it is, then the death of Lake and Riley is completely relevant to what we are doing or not doing about the border. I don't know her politics or where she stood before her untimely death. I don't know anything about her family or where they are. I don't pretend to speak for them or for her. But I will not be told by people who stand over bleeding bodies every day and deliver sermons about gun control that somehow this is not something we should get into Move along, nothing to see here. Don't want to talk, can't talk about it because it's an open investigation. Yeah. It's an open investigation because of you people. The case of this uh, man that set himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy, to me, is a case of somebody who was disturbed, who did something horrendous to himself, to his, the people who love him, It should not be encouraged or celebrated unless you're a ghoul who wants to see more of it. And it sounds like we're abandoning the longstanding consensus in our society. This is almost like a compact. It's like an unwritten rule that suicide is not glorified or... uh, praised or reinforced to the point where a lot of news organizations when I was coming up in journalism would not report on suicides at all because the thinking was that any reporting, even if you left the name out was running the risk of seeming to endorse or encourage the the activity. So we can talk about that. Lakin Riley is um, deserving of Uh, inclusion in and part of this debate about what we do about the border. Her death is a direct consequence of our open border. Here's Democratic Congressman Katie Porter trying to say, don't let one death ruin everything, cut number one.
2: Well, I think when a horrible tragedy like, like this happens, I think whenever we're dealing um, with violent crime, there is a sense of outrage, of sadness, and of loss. But I think the important thing to focus on is any one instance shouldn't shape our overall immigration policy, which has so many different facets, including mm-hmm. economic choices about what workers to allow in, and how to create prosperity in America. Uh-huh. So the situation is mm. tragic and it's a loss mm. and it's important to acknowledge that but also to recognize all the other how all the other parts of immigration they do not want to talk
1: them. about it they do they are so pissed off that they have to talk about this girl they are so disappointed that this is distracting from their attempts to resuscitate the biden campaign and, and here's the and here's the truth the people like katie porter Never miss an opportunity to blow one story out of proportion. Back when uh, Obama and then Trump were deporting people, the Democratic media all the time would profile and feature an individual or a family as if to say this, rep- this person or this family of illegal immigrants represents them all. And we should zero in on these human interest stories. And of course, I mentioned earlier, when they have other axes to grind, an individual's experience or tragedy is always the grounds for a new law. They even name new laws after an individual person, right? They'll say, we're, we're, na- we're going to make a law to make sure that such and such never happens again. We're going to name the law after that person. So how do they now turn around and go, Oh, but let's not let this one case have too much weight or impact. On the border, really, and of course, it's not one case. We know that. Doug is on the Jack Riccardi show on KTSa. Doug, welcome to the show. Hey, Jack, good
3: to talk to you. Uh, I wanted to to, to to comment on the Lake and Riley uh, tragedy. Uh, I, I heard Biden's I, I heard Biden's short, cold speech about it. Uh, the word, the word that you used was, uh, what was it, um, inconvenient. You hit the nail on the head. But some, something really bothers me. Uh, college students will go out and protest anything uh, that they don't like. They'll protest the Supreme Court and the Roe v. Wade uh, overturning, and they'll protest Israel invading, you know, they'll say Israel's invading Gaza, I haven't heard one thing about them protesting any illegals being able to come and murder one of their classmates. Um, I haven't heard one thing about a vigil for her or anything like that. Uh, It's just another example of where we're going. And, you know, all this stuff kind of ties in together, glorifying this guy that, that set himself on fire, yet we don't hear any college... Students mm-hmm. protesting or or mourning the loss of their classmate mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, really really bothers me. I, I I don't have anything else to say. Maybe you can yeah. comment on it. But that, it does bother me a lot.
1: No, I think that's an interesting that's an interesting observation, Doug. And 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 I agree with you. Um, it, it would seem like uh, sh- she should by by the rules that normally apply. Uh, she should represent a lot of people and, uh, and, and be the face of this issue, but it's the wrong outcome. They would prefer the face of the issue to be a sympathetic illegal immigrant. And I'm sure there are sympathetic illegal immigrants, but in this case, this is the victim of a predator, a monster, a guy that dragged her body and hid it after he killed her and disfigured her skull, according to the police and and it's just they just don't want to have to deal with it you can hear in katie porter's voice can we please move past this story doug thank you the ceo of kellogg's is in a little bit of trouble right now uh big cereal company ceo gary pilnick did an interview with cnbc and um i didn't see it but i read about it he I guess they got into the issue of inflation and the rising cost of food and families are struggling. And, you know, it's what you would ask a guy like this about if you were interviewing him. And Gary Pilnick uh, said, well, we're suggesting that people consider cereal for dinner. and um, And people like this idea, he said, to CNBC. Cereal for dinner is a way to deal with the high cost of food these days. The cereal category is affordable and it tends to be a great destination when consumers are under pressure. Cereal is dinner. Cereal for dinner is something that is probably more on trend now. And, uh, he is getting ripped on social media. Such a cruel thing. People are suffering. Due to inflation, and this guy sounds happy about that, said one. Another user on X, I'm sorry, but Kellogg's new campaign ads, cereal for dinner, sound like we have a serious poverty problem in America, and their solution is to capitalize on it. Another basting him for his million dollar compensation. I mean, it does sound a little daddy Warbucksian. Let them eat cereal for dinner, you know, but, um, Honestly, I got to say, I I'm not sure what the problem here is. I mean, it was not the it was not the best crafted message. Like I'm sure there were people back at uh, Kellogg's ripping their hair out as they watched him do the interview. This is not not did not come across the way they would want to come across it. It is, however, if you just get down to the heart of it, what's wrong with cereal for dinner? I've done it. I still do it. Exactly. I love breakfast for dinner. I, Don and I were just talking about how. One of the most satisfying <laughs> dinners you can ever have is fry or scramble a couple of eggs, make some toast, mm-hmm. have some ham on I have the a side. cup of coffee with it, mm-hmm. and that's pretty affordable. You know, a couple of eggs and a couple of pieces of toast, some butter. that's not too much. Uh, cereal, yeah, cereal for dinner, absolutely. Do you do cereal for dinner? Do you I ever do that? To... Of course, of course. What's your What's your go to it... cereal?
4: Well, you know, you mentioned grape nuts. That's not that's not bad. (laughs) I'm sorry, I grew
1: up on grape nuts. I love grape nuts so much. You know, and grape nuts flakes.
4: People wonder where the name came from. You know, I've heard different stories. Do you know? Well, yeah. One of the stories I remember is that the the cereal bits apparently looked like uh, grape nut or grape seeds. And so, oh. or, or great nuts, basically. And oh. that's that's one of the stories oh. that I, that I that's recall. That's very straightforward. Mm-hmm. I would have thought yeah. it was more complicated. Yeah. 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 So that's pretty much pretty much it. But you know what? Have you seen the price of cereal these days? What, it why, is getting up there. Why, why yeah. are they saying that this is a,
1: a poor man's food? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess it depends on what you buy. But some of them are quite... I mean, there's boxes yes. of cereal that are like $8.99. But uh, I don't know. I think... Um, some of the basics are still not too bad. You can get cornflakes and stuff like that. You can get generic, you know, you can get the store brand. They're not too bad. Christian, earlier. Look, it's not a substitute. If you're feeding a family, obviously. Well, of course not. A bowl of cornflakes is not what a growing kid or family. Of but not. But I, I, I just, I feel like we're, we're a little too quick to just rip everybody for everything. And as far as him being opportunistic, the dude runs a cereal company. What do you think he's going to suggest that you eat? Cereal for breakfast, cereal for lunch, cereal for, for dinner. Yeah, I mean that's what they have. The, Kellogg. He's the CEO. He's what? the CEO <laughs> of a cereal company. He's in trouble if he's not telling exactly. you to have cereal. Exactly. You know what should we have for our anniversary dinner? Cereal. Yes. <laughs> How should we ring in the new year? Cereal. I mean, the guy. This is what they make. <laughs> I don't have any problem with it. I I really don't. I I I admit it's probably not the best crafted message maybe i didn't see him maybe he didn't deliver it smoothly but this is not we don't need a protest in front of kelly people don't need to like fling paint on the front doors of the kellogg building or something you know i mean it's, yeah. it's okay i i will so say- tell me if you ever eat cereal for dinner that's our question on the jr poll 210 599 um i don't need as much cereal as i used to for the reason that christian mentioned it's yeah. I'm trying to watch my carbs and stuff same, same but, here. Uh, I like Raisin When Brand. I was younger, I, was I would Brands I would tear Brand. into a box of cereal at night and oh, go yeah. to town on Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I c- I could eat life cereal just right out of the box. Oh, life is good. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sure. You it don't is. even need I know they came out with cinnamon life. Yes. Uh, no, I just The no, regular no, no, life just, is really just, that's just really the original good. flavor. Yeah. Yes. That's that's yeah. real good stuff.
4: I mean, Christian said he he was not allowed to eat chocolate pebbles. <laughs> For, yeah, that he um, had to he had to eat some kind of cereal with fiber in it, I guess. Right. But, you right.
1: Know. <laughs> uh, you know what's funny though, as I got older, I started to really like the fiber cereals, you know? I won't get into the, you know, not going to get into too many details here, but I appreciate the uh, fiber now. You know, when you're young, you don't need it. When you're older, it kind of helps. So, okay. Uh 210-599-5555. <laughs> that that got very close to a, a an entire line of conversation none of us want to have. It's like I'm at my doctor's office. Um, so we'll talk about that and what you think of what the CEO of Kellogg uh, had to say. I guess it's Kellogg, not Kellogg's. So sorry about that. Somebody corrected me in the, in the chat. Uh, speaking of food prices, uh, we have a story at KTSA.com you should check out about Wendy's. Uh, Wendy's is testing the idea of surge pricing at their restaurants. Surge pricing is something that obviously airlines do um Uber does it. It's not something we've seen in the fast food arena before, but they say that what they are testing is what's sometimes called dynamic pricing or surge pricing where at various times of day prices will vary on the menu boards at Wendy's. So when there's more demand, when it's higher traffic, there'll be higher prices. And when it's slower, and nobody wants Wendy's the prices will tick 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 down and that's going to offend people because if you if you're a regular at a restaurant you 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 expect the price to stay the same uh but their argument is um the food industry is struggling and our franchisees are struggling and we got to you know um figure out how to make this work. So in the same way that Uber will charge you more for a ride on New Year's Eve than they would on, say, tonight, Wendy's is going to do the same thing. What do you think of that? I'm not a Wendy's guy, so I, I probably won't encounter it, but uh, would that offend you, or would you understand? or do, I mean... I, I, we we hear people say all kinds of things about restaurant pricing, you know, especially like on Fridays when we're talking restaurants on the dish. I will hear people say that they sympathize, and and that they're still supportive of their favorite restaurants. And then there are people that are like, it's gotten crazy, it's insane, we're not doing it anymore. Um, I, and I get both, you know, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Jana is on the Jack Riccardi show, having a big bowl of cereal while she waits for us to take her call. Hi, Jana. <laughs>
2: I used to eat cereal a lot for dinner when we were growing up, you know, when I didn't want my parents' uh, food they cooked. Yeah. They said, well, fix your own, so I picked a big bowl of cereal, and it was a huge bowl of cereal. I would eat those mixing bowls of cereal.
1: <laughs> you would eat out of a mixing bowl. I love that. What kind of yes, cereal would. would you have?
2: Um, I would have Cocoa Puffs, for sure, and some corn cornflakes, but it had to have sugar and bananas.
1: Ooh, so, nice. Yeah. Nice. Oh, I like the corn flakes with the bananas, and I, I like them with a little bit of honey. Oh man, that is some good eating. I
2: haven't right there. tried that.
1: <laughs> do you? Uh, do you? You say you did this when you were growing up. Do you ever have cereal for dinner now?
2: You know, no, not a whole lot. But if I want like a maybe a lunch thing, if I don't feel like cooking anything, I'll do a cereal. You know, and the, on the weekends when you're lazy.
1: <laughs> it's kind of filling you know i mean if the goal is to feel like you've had a, f- a filling meal a bowl or two of cereal really does it right
2: Yeah. So i don't know what all the hoopla was about
1: about all that <laughs> yeah and the guy's in the cereal business he's trying to get you to eat more cereal that's pretty obvious you know janna exactly. thanks for the call good to hear from you i like your i like your choices uh david is on the jack Riccardi show hi david
5: yes sir i love cereal i've, I've been having cereal for a dinner for until uh, i am 59 years old now what i quit you? my son has taken over
1: oh now he's having cereal at night all right what was your what was your go-to cereal when you would have it at night for dinner
5: well i grew up in the caribbean so it was mainly kellogg's Corn Flakes. but my son loves cheerios for dinner
1: oh i love both of those yeah cheerios are awesome and do you still do and, it or you you say you kind of have moved away from it now
5: yeah, now and then, if I feel a little lazy, but my son does it almost every night.
1: Beautiful, I'm okay with that. Yeah. See, that would make the Kellogg's guy very happy to hear that, David. He would love that. Maybe he'll put yeah, your son I in the commercial.
5: Know. Exactly, he might have said it out of taste, but um, and concerning the guy about the martyrdom affair, um, I feel sorry for the guy, but that was not martyrdom. That was uh, uh, brain damage. That was a mental problem. Yes, and um, if if they want to know what martyrdom is, let them read a eight a hundred year old book called The Great Controversy by Ellen G. White. They'll know what martyrdom is. Okay,
1: thank you, David. I Appreciate nice it. Uh, yeah, they were specifically they were specifically likening the the airmen to Christian martyrs uh, from the Roman Empire era, and um, it's just breathtaking how illiterate a reference that is because the Christian martyrs and you can go to you know you can go to the Bible as well are um, are people that were going to be murdered unless they renounced their faith and they wouldn't they didn't douse themselves they didn't kill themselves, they didn't throw themselves into the mouth of lions, mouths of lions. Um, they were murdered. What makes them martyrs is what they were murdered for. And I I don't I, I, I guess I guess saying that this this man reminds them of that is said in the hope that you won't know the difference or you don't know that. But I think people do, right? I think they do. Tanya is on the show. Tanya, welcome to our show today. Hi. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I can.
2: Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, um, oatmeal is a favorite in our house. Um, mm. Love it in the in the winter, hot.
6: Yep, yep.
2: With um, walnuts, and I put protein powder in it, so it's you know, not just full carbs um, and blueberries and raspberries.
1: Yeah, you really can't uh, go wrong with oatmeal. You can add I, all kinds of fruit. You can add nuts. You can put honey. You can put maple syrup. I mean, yeah, it's all I'll good.
2: Go for the chia seeds and the flaxseed meal. It's wow, really you are you are
1: very healthy.
2: Well, I was because I'm not even that,
1: sure that. I know what a chia seed is. Would I grow like a chia pet? Would my hair grow like a big uh, green? cloud of plant yeah. life out of my head, like a chia pet, or what?
2: Well, if you want to lower your cholesterol, oatmeal, okay. chia seed, flaxseed meal, that's kind of... Um, so flaxseed or chia it seeds works.
1: are a good way to do that?
2: Especially with, on oatmeal, uh-huh. And then in the summer, I eat it cold with all that oh. fruit on there, and it's a perfect way to come back from a trip or a long weekend and not have to make a meal. but And my husband loves it, too. So
1: it's, Well, there you go. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, Who are these people that are all bent out of shape? There's other the, the world has bigger problems than whether you're having a bowl of oatmeal for dinner, right?
2: Uh, I'm glad you brought it up. I
1: I'm am, too, of- Tanya. And I'm glad I, I wrote down your tip about chia seeds and flax seeds. I'm glad I know about that. Thank you for calling us. I appreciate it. Um, we're getting all kinds of emails about other things people... Uh, other breakfast foods people like to have for dinner too. Uh, uh, Blanca says she loves to have pancakes for dinner. Yeah, I do that once in a while. I did that, um, I think I did it last, it last Friday night or just whipped up some pancakes. You know, cause the thing about pancake making is that it's kind of time consuming on a weekday morning. And if I'm going to enjoy them and you're going to make them and take your time making them and stuff, it's almost, e- it's almost easier to do at night. So, so we're, standing behind Mr. Kellogg's. We think he's okay for this one. We don't know what else he's up to, but he's okay to suggest that, yes, people can have breakfast cereals outside of breakfast. Nobody needs to be that upset about it. It sounds like the testimony of this uh, guy, Terrence Bradley, was sort of inconclusive today. Is that... A safe way to sum it up. That's
0: what I'm getting, and it's it, there might be some repetition here. It sounds like he, I don't know if he knows exactly when the relationship started. I don't mm-hmm. think Trump's attorneys care because of the the data they've been able to dig up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, Jack, he doesn't remember when they got together.
1: Yeah, he just. Well, I mean, who would? I mean, it, I mean, I don't know. I don't know these people, but just in general, like if you were to ask me about a friend of mine mm-hmm. when did he get together with his girlfriend i don't i don't know
0: yeah I, to me it doesn't sound like he's intentionally dodging the questions i could be wrong but like you said i don't know that he was you know keeping a diary over you know fanny
1: willis's love life men are lucky to remember when their own relationship started Mm, I'll speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you can get us to remember what we're involved in, that's that's a that's a, that's a big step. That's one small step for man. You know, doesn't that kind of uh, go
0: back to the, the our trouble with
1: anniversaries? That might yeah, be tied yes, in. Yeah. Yes, right. You know, I mean, you know, not saying, just saying. <laughs> um, if it doesn't apply to you, don't be offended. I'm just in general. But yeah, the, the, here's the deal. Uh, as as you heard Christian say, they they put this guy back on the stand. He had already, uh, or I guess they had another session with him. I don't know if he was on the stand, but anyway, they got some more testimony from this guy named Terrence Bradley in the Fannie Willis Nathan Wade ongoing uh, drama, and he was he was ordered, I guess, to uh, to um, to answer questions by the judge, and his answers were sort of inconclusive. But as you heard Christian also mention. There is now sufficient doubt about the story that Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade have been telling themselves. There is there is substantial doubt based on cell phone and other electronic data. Um, and, and so here's where I'm going with this. I don't know how you feel about the RICO case against Trump in Georgia. I, I think it's just ridiculous and overblown and sort of naked political lawfare, as they call it. But if you believe it is serious, if you believe that Donald Trump committed a a unique and horrible political crime, if you believe that he tried to and believed he could um, basically overturn an election, then why wouldn't Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade, but but primarily Fannie Willis, resign from the case. See, there is something basically inconsistent about how vehemently and um, diligently they are defending themselves whilst at the same time arguing that this is about something much, much bigger. So if you believe that you were defending democracy then your little affairs of the heart and your the little details of your life you know the the hill of beans as it were wouldn't matter you'd you'd gladly you'd gladly say look i i wanted this job i ran for it i'm proud to have had it rest in peace rest in power whatever the saying is but It's important that we get Trump, and so I'm going to step down, step aside. I'm going to take my distraction out of this case. Because I'm now the, the lever that the Trump attorneys are using to pry him out of this RICO prosecution. That's what I don't get. Can someone explain to me why, if they really believe what they're doing, then why isn't what they're doing way bigger than when they started dating? These two lovebirds are so obsessed with proving everybody wrong and maintaining their, um, and it's a crazy story. I mean, it's if you wanted to believe it, you'd have a hard time, right? It's platonic, but, you know. So all I'm saying is start acting like you claim you feel. If this is about the future of democracy, you know what to do. And I could say the same thing to President Joe Biden. You're clearly falling apart. I don't say it hatefully. I don't say it gleefully. I have watched family members go into the decline I think he's in. It is not going to get better. It is going to get worse and it is going to, uh, th- the way it gets worse is going to accelerate. Dementia is like a snowball rolling downhill. It doesn't get a little bit, be- a little worse every day. It gets worse at a faster and faster rate. If you believe that you are saving the country, or if you believe that he is a threat to our way of life, Which, again, I don't, but I'm just saying if this is what you're going to claim, it's way too important for you to be running for president. It's way too important for you to be seeking a second term that would take you to the age of 86. These people are not in any way credible when they talk about, in a grandiose way, democracy and saving America and fighting for these principles, because all of them, Joe Biden, Fannie Willis, this is all very, very personal. It is all about proving a point. It is all about being right. It is all about uh, shouting down their detractors. And, and look, I mean, I, I admire people that fight. If if you want to fight for yourself, if you want to fight for your relationship with Nathan Wade, then do that. But don't tell me you're on some great crusade because I won't believe you. Nobody does. 210-599-5555. A couple of interesting... Um, Items today that I think kind of go together. Apple has announced they're canceling their electric car. Um, According to people uh, with knowledge of uh, the matter, uh, they're abandoning one of the most high-profile projects in the history of the company. And and remember, Apple is a company that when they make something or they enter a segment, they're going to be the best, right? It's going to be the one everybody wants. So it was... It was, it was news when they said, we're getting into the car business. They apparently disclosed this internally um, yesterday. It came as a surprise to people inside the company. There's a couple of thousand people on this project. This is a very big undertaking. But they are winding down their decade-long effort at an EV. Um, and... Then I read that Mercedes is the latest car company to make an announcement basically rolling back its targets for electric vehicles. In their latest investor outlook with shareholders, uh, the company has said that they are no longer targeting the year 2030 to be all electric. And, you know, that is so soon because we are really almost to the 2025 model year for cars. In A few months we will be in the 2025 model year. So 2030 is an insane target. Now, they say in their outlook, we will cater to different customer needs well into the 2030s. The outlook says Mercedes-Benz will continue to focus on its brand premise to build the world's most desirable cars, We will remain strategically focused and tactically flexible. Customers and market conditions will set the pace of the transformation. The company plans to be, this is what they wrote, the company plans to be in a position to cater to different customer needs, whether it's all-electric drivetrain or uh, electrified combustion engine, until well into the 2030s. So Apple is dropping it. Mercedes is rolling it back. Uh, Some of the states are pushing their dates back. The CEO of GM a few weeks ago rolled back. I wouldn't say the market is collapsing. I would actually say the market for EVs is starting to look like a market. It's starting to sound like people who are in the business of making and selling cars, recognize that business means people have to want it. People have to think it's a good value, be willing to pay the price you're charging for it. We didn't get where we are with the modern automobile through mandates. People were not told, ordered, commanded, get rid of their, slaughter their horses or whatever. It's never worked that way, and it hasn't worked that way this time either. Um, we played a little of uh, <clears throat> this yesterday uh, over the weekend on one of the weekend CNN shows. Michael Smirconish is the host. He was a radio guy in, um, I think, Philadelphia, and uh, I, I met him a couple of times. He's a nice guy. He He was a conservative on talk radio, but he's carved out this niche as kind of a... No labels, like, I'm playing it down the middle, but, well, you know, everybody's got a good point, you know. So anyway, he had on Bob Costas, the long-running sports broadcaster, made made a great career at NBC Sports. And Bob Costas went into this rant about people who support Trump. Uh, This is what it sounded like if you missed it yesterday.
4: He is by far the most
1: disgraceful
4: figure in modern presidential history. He's only become more disgraceful since 2016 and since 2020. He is a bubbling cauldron of loathsome mm. traits, and it's only those who are actually suffering from Trump derangement syndrome, which is the way they and Fox News and all the rest of MAGA media try to brush aside all the legitimate criticisms of Trump. You have to be in the throes of some sort of toxic delusion in a toxic cult, to believe that Donald Trump has ever been in any sense Mm. emotionally, psychologically, intellectually, or ethically fit to be president of the United States. But his
1: supporters are locked in on that. Um, Have you noticed, I, I was thinking about this, have you noticed that nobody even bothers to tell you why Trump is unfit or the worst president, or... Like, they've given up talking about, well, did you hear when he said this? Or, this policy was wrong for this reason. It, it, there, There's no... It's like they take a shortcut past the reasons, and they just go right to the emoting. Which is fine, I mean, you know, it's fun to feel, and it's fun to emote, it, it feels good to be on a crusade and it, it's it's cool to drop a lot of um, superlatives and, you know, he's the worst and it's historically... But I'm so old I remember when they would tell you what they didn't like. And I think that's gotten a little harder to do now because the president they favored as Trump's replacement is so awful and so ineffective that if you start putting your cards on the table about policy, it gets very messy very quickly. So if you could talk about Trump in a vacuum, that would be one thing. But they're obviously not comfortable. A lot of these people, and Costas is one of them, they're not comfortable defending Biden. They're just, they just want to really get their, their thoughts out there about Trump. But yeah, nobody even says anymore, like, well, what is it that makes him so terrible? What What is the thing? What are the things? And I mean real things. I don't mean stuff he didn't say about Charlottesville or stuff he, he didn't say on January 6, 2021. I mean actual things. And I don't even mean necessarily things he says, but what were the policies that impacted you that were so hideous? I, I, I think I've told this story before. I, I had a friend who, when Trump was running in 2016, told me how petrified he was of Trump becoming president. And his fears were incredible, lurid. It, it, he, he was expecting a dystopian nightmare of things to happen to him personally and to the country as a whole. And of course those things didn't happen. He, he wasn't deported. Um, He didn't lose everything. Uh, He wasn't attacked in the street for being Hispanic. I mean, none of the things that he was afraid of and said he was happened. Of course they didn't happen. But it's almost like the record or the, the four years that Trump was president, well, that doesn't even matter. We're not even taking that into account. A lot of the people who tell you he was the worst president we ever had had three of the best years they've ever had economically. Now, I'm not saying you have to support the guy. I'm not saying you have to like him. And I understand he does a lot of things that are off-putting. I get it. But if we just have a little consistency... And the other thing that's so funny to me is, I don't know about Bob Costas, but have you noticed how a lot of the people that rip Trump are also people who lecture us about how We need to respect those with whom we have differences. We get these lectures on a periodic basis. It's kind of like the National Sunday School, you know, be nice to people that are different. Well, well, President Biden says it all the time. He said it the other day. Our our opponents are not our enemies, and Americans need to uh, find common ground, and we need to uh, listen to each other, and Why are you giving us this lecture when you're telling us, those of us that voted for him, that we're a bubbling cauldron of terribleness? Shouldn't you be telling yourself that? The lectures about respecting people you disagree with or trying to understand where they're coming from are lessons you actually need, those of you delivering. I guess one other point you could make about Costas, I, I know his career is very well established, and he—I'm not taking away from his greatness as a sportscaster, but I wonder if he's ever considered that the people that watch sports, the people that have made him who he is, the people that have paid his salary, which I, I you know, is a deserved salary—the guy's great—they're the very people he's talking about. Who does he think watches sports? who does he think who does he think his audience is? He's not lecturing on nuclear physics. He's talking to the bubbling cauldron, and the bubbling cauldron is people that have made him successful and famous but who he apparently has not taken any time to pay attention to or try to understand. You know, you can try to understand where people are coming from and still hang on to your beliefs and still believe that they're wrong. Something I heard somewhere. I think it's true. I did not see this, and a couple of people sent it to me after we talked about the Spurs Arena yesterday. If you were not with us uh, yesterday, and this podcast is available uh, at KTSA.com. One of the things we talked about yesterday was the the wisdom or the reasons why the city and the Spurs would put a new, put up a new Spurs arena on the site of the Institute for Texan Cultures. And um, then we kind of branched into pro sports in San Antonio and I, I, I said some things about the fact that th- I think the reason we have the Spurs but we don't have NFL or MLB is that while we have the population and we have the enthusiasm, we don't have the the finances. And so I didn't know this, but apparently this was the discussion on a podcast Um called Alamo City Sportscast, and this article was in the San Antonio Current. I don't have a date on this, but anyway, uh, these two guys got into a lot of trouble, I guess, for saying what we were saying yesterday. Um, they had been discussing whether or not there'd be Major League Baseball expansion, and one guy said it's going to be Austin There's no way it'll be San Antonio. Um, And I guess the opinion was that the city is too poor. We have a high poverty rate. We have a lack of large corporations. And pro sports teams look for a profile of a city with a corporate base. And it's true. I mean, what they said was true. I didn't hear them say it. I don't know how they said it. But if that's what they said, that's true. And, you know, I guess the trouble or the controversy is that people thought they were being offensive. Because I guess to some people, if you say that San Antonio is a low-income city, uh, they're offended. Well, it, it is. And that's not anything to be ashamed of or a knock and what exactly are you saying if you think it is? Are, do, you, do you find people with low incomes distasteful or you don't like to be around them or you don't like to see them? Or what, what's, what's the deal? Why can't we say that? That's a fact. It's a statistical fact. It's, it's just numbers. It isn't all we are. There's many things that you can say about San Antonio. There's many apt descriptions of its people. But one of the things that's true is that it's a low-income city. In fact, among the major cities in the country, it's one of the lowest-income cities. And we never talk about it, which is too bad, because if we did, we could talk about why. And that's an interesting conversation. Why is it a low-income city? I mean, is it just that way because it's it has to be, or it always will be, or, no, no. When you look at any any city in this country, or you look at any country where there is a high poverty rate or a low median income, you can usually figure out how the political leadership the the priorities have caused that so if that's offensive you will not like the next few minutes but if we're if if we're concerned about this or we don't like the sound of it or we don't like people saying it or you don't like me saying it what are we going to do about it what makes it a, a low income city is it public education is it political priorities do we have political leadership with vision are they trying to lift people up and create opportunity and political uh, economic mobility like are we trying to help people rise or are we keeping them down Some political philosophies depend on poverty. Some political parties and political bases need people to be low income. They need to live paycheck to paycheck. They need to be dependent on the politicians. Really, of course, that's a figure of speech. You're not really getting it from the politicians, but you know what I mean. Rather than be offended at these two guys, and I don't know them, and I didn't hear them, it'd be nice if people said, hey, um, it's a fact, and if we don't like it, we should start finding leaders that will do something about it. You have to to make the right priorities. You have to make the right choices. You, You need an educated population. You need schools that teach, that don't just pass people through. I'm not blaming teachers. I'm just saying there's... There's a lot of things that go into a person's potential for earning. You need strong families. You need safe communities. If you want employers to come from other places, you need to be a better place. By the way, if you do all those things and you really help people and people are doing better, Stuff like baseball teams will follow, but that's not why you do it. I just, I look around and I, I I think a lot of the choices we make when we vote keep us poor. Do you not see that electing socialists is choosing poverty? Socialists don't like people that are self-sufficient or upwardly mobile. They don't like it when people can do for themselves. They do like it when people are easily victimized and when they can tell voters, it's not your fault and it's the man and it's the boot on your neck and it's the, you know. So when you elect socialists, which we keep doing, you also elect low income. And again, I'm not putting that down. I didn't come from money. Some of the best people I know are low-income people. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to say, well, we need to get a baseball team in here, we need to get a football team in here, well, then you're going to have to change the economic landscape. We have the numbers, we have the people, but we don't have the economic conditions. And these two guys were right about that. Again, I had never heard of them, but when we were talking about it, it prompted a couple of listeners to say, hey, did you see this in the San Antonio Current? San Antonio Sports Personalities Face blowback for saying the city is poor. <laughs> okay. All right. What do you think? You can join the show at 210 599 5555. Yesterday, we were asking you should the Spurs, uh, should there be a new Spurs arena on the uh, site of the Institute for Texan Cultures? It was kind of a question about the location, but of course, that broadens out to the question about w- w- why are we doing this, and uh, then the, the conversation kind of spins into what's the future for other sports teams in San Antonio, and will it always and only be the Spurs, and maybe it won't even be the Spurs if they decided, for example, to move to Austin. And um, it's actually a fact that if you just look at our population or the size of the city and you didn't know anything about it, you would think that the major league sports, you know, football, baseball, ha- have made a huge mistake. They have made a huge oversight. They have missed the seventh largest city in the country. They've missed this growing, booming metropolitan area, an area with all kinds of open land and, 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 and opportunities. But then when you look closer and you look at the things that sports teams look at, we don't have them. Corporate base, disposable, what they call disposable income, okay, so where people have money to blow, not money for needs, but money for entertainment, and that we don't have. But why do we not have those things? Well, look at the political choices we make. We elect politicians who issue declarations about the Paris Climate Accord, which is a suicide pact among nations to embrace energy, um, basically energy scarcity or starvation. And when there isn't enough energy, you're going to have poor people. You're going to keep people poor. You're going to make people poor. And I don't know if you've heard or read much about the economic outlook in Europe, but their outlook is grim mainly because their energy outlook is grim. Europe, Africa, Latin America are all in deep trouble. And one of the things that's holding them back is energy, another is debt. Politicians are borrowing us into permanent poverty. And so you need people with a vision for lifting people up. But politicians have to be brave when they lift people up because they also lift people out of and away from fear and dependency on them. We don't just run up all this debt that you hear about all the time, the National Debt Clock and stuff like that just for the just for the fun of it we're spending money and we're lining pockets and we're engineering a bigger and bigger state so that people will be embedded in it and i have a different idea i have a different vision i think that leaders ought to help people thrive now it doesn't mean everybody wants to be rich but it means everybody's free to be as prosperous as they can be or want to be. There will still be people that want to lay in a hammock, but there will also be people who will say, I want, to, I want to show up early and stay late and I want to work a second job, but I want to do that to better myself. I want to do that to get ahead. Right now, people are working second and third jobs, and this administration is bragging about job creation, but most of those are jobs for people that already have jobs because people are just trying to get by. So if we don't make different political choices in San Antonio, we won't have those things that you wonder why we don't have. Now you may not care, and that's okay too. I hear from people all the time, I don't, I don't watch sports, I don't follow sports. It's okay. but It should be an honest discussion. And I I know, like, one gentleman called our show yesterday and said, well, it's because, uh, the Spurs don't want anybody else. And there was somebody else that said it was because, oh, I think I said it was because the Cowboys kind of, kind of block off San Antonio as a secondary market for the, for the, you know, for the Cowboys. But yes, those things are all true to a degree. But if we keep electing socialists who think that, Paris Climate Accord and meaningless proclamations and virtue signaling and rainbow crosswalks. If you keep electing people like that, we will continue to be that city that everybody thinks, wow, why doesn't anybody want to dance with them? Why doesn't anybody ask them to dance? And it won't just be professional sports, it'll be a lot of things. It doesn't have to be that way. And it wouldn't take I don't think it would take much to really unleash an entirely different vision and viewpoint. Because I'll say this, and I felt this way, I've, I've been here now 30 years, this, this uh, September, i have been here 30 years. I, I think the sky's the limit if we make the right choices. I just, I don't think we're making the right choices. The 10% of us that vote, right? I know we talked about her when she was first elected, but. She hasn't been in our, uh, on our radar screen in a while. Uh, her name is Winsome Sears, and she's the Lieutenant Governor of Virginia. She came in when Youngkin came in as the governor. And, uh, she's, she's a very impressive woman. Um, she is one of the most straight shooting people we've seen in public life in a long time. Uh, she is upsetting apple carts left and right. Part of her job is presiding over the state senate in Virginia. And you may have heard there was a flap there on Monday when um, Lieutenant Governor Sears referred to a Democratic transgender senator as sir. Um, let me play the moment first. I think, is it cut four done where she actually says it? Alright, so this is this is what happened on the floor of the Virginia Senate. Cut number four.
7: purpose does the senator from Prince William rise? Madam President, rise for parliamentary inquiry. The senator may state it. Madam President, how many votes will be? would it take uh, to pass this bill with the emergency clause? That would be four-fifths, Senator. And what would be the exact number for that, uh, Madam President? Yes, sir, that would be 32. Senator Saravel, for what purpose does the senator rise?
3: I think I'd ask that we take a recess for five minutes.
7: Without objection, the House stands at recess for five minutes. Our Senate stands at recess, this esteemed body, for five minutes.
1: Uh, the senator, whose name is Danica Rome, biological man, stormed out of the Senate in anger at the use of the word "sir," uh, they were debating a uh, a bill, and you heard Senator Rome asking a parliamentary question about how many votes. And Winsome Sears just uses "sir," says "sir," um, and then when they came back, and there was this all this angst, uh, Lieutenant Governor Sears. Uh, made a statement about what had happened, and that's what this is, cut number three.
7: That I said something that upset Senator Rome. Let it be known. I am not here to upset anyone. I am here to do the job that the people of Virginia have called me to do, and that is to treat everyone with respect and dignity. I myself have at times not been afforded that same respect and dignity but in this body and as long as I am president of the Senate and by the grace of God I will be treated with respect and dignity and I will treat everyone else with respect and dignity I have called people Not by their names, but by everyone else's names. Indeed, I have just put the Senate at ease in the name of the House. It is never my intention to make anyone offended. And I hope that others would consider that they would try not to offend me as well. We are all equal under the law. And so, I apologize I apologize, I apologize, and I would hope, I would hope that everyone would understand there is no intent to offend, but that we will also give each other the ability to forgive each other. I have seen us conduct ourselves in ways that we would not expect of our own children Or nieces or nephews. And so I would hope that we take this opportunity to be kind to each other, to be gracious to each other, to be about the people's business. That is what I hope. And I join you in serving the people of this great Commonwealth. I join you in being a citizen of this great
1: country. Thank you. So some people called that a non-apology apology apology, um, on social media, but I I believe she said like three or four times, I apologize. Let me give you the short version of that. That That was great, but let me give you the short version of that. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you whether you're using your original pronouns. It's not about you whether you went down to pronoun world and picked out some new ones. It's not about you whether you're wearing them on your lapel or you list them on your X profile. These are state legislators. They're debating a uh, medical bill in Virginia. They were elected by the people. They're doing something ostensibly in the interest of the people. Who the F care? Just, it's not about you. And I know there are people, look, like, can we just get this out of the way? I, I know there are people who are kind of twitchy and prickly and if they know somebody is trans, they're gonna purposely call them by their, what do they call it, their dead name. But, and and you know what? You, you There's not going to be anything you can do about that because there will always be people that do that. You are not going to be able to make everybody engage in this notion that you are now a woman. You're free to do it, but not everybody's going to join. Not everybody's going to participate. And it's a, it's a, pointless fruitless exercise this this word policing that we're doing to stop we got to stop everything till Winsome Sears gets the pronoun right It's not about you. How hard is that? when did when who told people that their feelings were the only thing that mattered? Feelings are nice, you know. It's, we should try to, but it's not everything. 210 599 Over the weekend, a uh, Air Force uh, airman uh, from Lackland named Aaron Bushnell went and stood in front of the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. He announced in advance that he was going to protest what he called the genocide in Gaza and not only Israel's role but America in support of Israel he said I will no longer be complicit I'm about to engage in an extreme act of protest and then he lit himself on fire he killed himself with fire on the sidewalk he was dead on arrival at the hospital his um Whatever you think of the, you know, Israel-Gaza question, he's a human being. Somebody loved him. He has a mom who will never get over this. And it's a tragedy. And it's a suicide. That, that is what it is. Factually, he committed suicide. And that would be the end of the story, except that people who should know better are comparing him to Christian martyrs and saying that he committed an act of martyrdom. Cornell West, Princeton University, I think I said, I might have said the school, or I might have said Yale or something earlier, I I stand corrected, it's Princeton. Uh, Cornell West, who's also running for president, but is a, a longtime time accommodation, um, said on X, let us never forget the extraordinary courage and commitment of brother Aaron Bushnell, who died for truth and justice. I pray for his precious loved ones. Let us rededicate ourselves to genuine solidarity with Palestinians, ongoing genocidal attacks in real time. Hashtag free Palestine. Hashtag Aaron Bushnell. Uh, I guess people who can morally equivocate Hamas as a resistance movement or freedom fighters can also somehow squint and see Aaron Bushnell's self-immolation as martyrdom. But I think that's pretty sick. I would never want to say anything, whatever my viewpoints were on anything, I would never want to encourage support for or endorse somebody killing themselves to make the point. In fact, I would hope I would do everything in my power to persuade them to make their point in some other way, any other way. I can remember when it was an unwritten rule of the newsroom and kind of of society that we didn't glorify or publicize suicides so that there wouldn't be any copycat effect or to somebody out there who's marginal or teeter-tottering on a decision like that, you wouldn't want to tilt them in that direction, let them know that, they could become famous or they could get their point of view out or they could dominate a news cycle. So we didn't report it. We, w- we wouldn't report suicides. We wouldn't name suicides. I think that was a good policy. I think that was a responsible policy. We've gone from that to Time Magazine writing a piece in connection with Aaron Bushnell about the Christian martyrs of the Roman Empire. And our good friend Ed Morrissey writes about this at HotAir.com. He's a a brilliant guy, and his piece is much better than anything I could say. But his his bottom line, and mine too, would be the Christian martyrs were um, people of a new faith in a very old system that could not accept that new faith. And the Christian faith was a threat to the, the Roman system or at least they thought it was. And so the the persecution of Christians was extreme and cruel. And although every story is different, the martyrs generally were the victims of murder or assassination. But in most cases, they were given a choice. They were told that if they renounced what they believed, they would not be killed. And the reason they're martyrs and the reason they've been sainted and the reason we remember them today is because they didn't choose to live but renounce. They they chose to stick to their beliefs and allowed themselves to be killed. But they did not kill themselves. It's at best ignorance and it's at worst revisionist history to compare people who would not denounce Christ and were put to death to a man who set himself on fire. They were murdered. He committed suicide. That isn't a slight difference, is it? Tell me what you think. 210-599-5555. We, um, we see the politicians struggling with the Lake and Riley case. It's a criminal case. A woman was murdered. They have a suspect in custody who's an illegal immigrant. Those are the facts. But the spin is a problem. Just the other day, I think it was the Washington Post, wrote a piece about how, and this is, you're going to love this, it's a double-decker, the reason our economy is so strong, and did you know that by the way? (laughs) Are you experiencing that? the reason our economy is so strong is because of all the immigration. So we don't have a crisis at the border. It's a conspiracy theory. It's Trump. It's never been better. It Oh, it is a crisis, but it's a crisis because Republicans won't pass a bill and the streets are safe and diversity is our strength and then... Lake and Riley is killed by an illegal immigrant. They can't deal. They can't, they can't deal. They want it to go away. The statement from the White House was the minimalist statement you could possibly make at a moment of, of a high-profile death. It is a piece of forgettable boilerplate in an era when politicians usually go over overboard with the rhetoric and the language and personalizing it, and Jill and I, and there's none of that. In fact, the White House statement, which isn't even attributed to the president himself as if it came from the building, says we because this is an active case, we can't say too much about it. When has that ever stopped them before? How many police-involved shootings were active cases? How many riots were active cases? Uh, what, active case? You you don't comment on things that where your comment might affect the jury pool or the jurisprudence? Really? When did that start? I missed the memo on that one. So I guess... Um, We'll see how long this story stays in the public consciousness. I, I, I feel like it's a searing story. I, I think people can relate to it as parents, as siblings, as, as human beings. But The politicians really want to get this one behind them as quickly as possible. I, I think you're going to find that the media does too, or do. Remember when Donald Trump first came down the escalator and gave that talk at Trump Tower I'm going to run for president and one of the things he said that immediately touched off a firestorm I don't remember the exact words but something to the effect of Mexico's not sending us their best people or we're getting their their you know murderers and rapists and you, you know it was it was a flashpoint statement from a guy who would go on to say so many other things that that kind of pales in comparison. But that was the establishment of the Donald Trump brand on illegal immigration and the border, and he staked out a position. He is synonymous now with the border wall, an idea that now has majority support in the polls, an idea that even Biden seems to be sort of backing into. But here's my point. And this is my what if. What if Donald Trump was just coming along now? Like, what if the 2016 election had never happened? He had never been president. The impeachments, all the other stuff, none of that happened. He's he's Donald Trump, the businessman. And now, in the year of our Lord, 2024, he's running for president. And he's, you know swinging the bat, talking about the border, talking about illegal immigration. He was really, in a way, he came too early. That message would be even more powerful right now if it was new right now. Didn't have any of the baggage that they've tried to hang on him. Because you can say, well, none of it matters to me, and I don't believe in these prosecutions, and but i was thinking what imagine the timeliness of of his position if it was a new uh you know sort of staking out of that position now this year this month i mean not that he's doing badly at all but uh it's something to think about People don't always the the leaders we need don't always show up exactly on schedule, and um, you, you know the funny the funny thing about Trump, I have these discussions with people all the time. How can you? And it's it's either how can you support him, or why don't you support him? I get I get those in equal number. I'm either doing something wrong or I'm doing something right. I don't I don't know which. But anyway, what I always tell people is. I am capable of appreciating a policy or an idea without falling in love and marrying the person behind it. I don't need to, I don't need to like him. I'm never going to meet him. He doesn't care what I think and I don't care personally about him. I know a good policy when I hear it, I know a good instinct when I hear it. I know when somebody's going to do the job. That's all that matters to me. It seems kind of silly to vote for people based on whether or not you like them. Do you think you're going to be spending time with them? Are they coming over the house? I mean, if you live in Iowa or New Hampshire, they might be, but, you know, otherwise. And I suspect, and this is what I tell people who query me, I suspect there are more of these voters than you realize who are just looking for someone effective. And you'd be surprised what they can overlook. And you'd be surprised at what they can tune out and what doesn't matter to them. Static and distractions and rhetoric and threat to democracy. Because you know, it's nice to be all about democracy. But we need to be a nation, we need to have a country, too. We're losing that. I don't want democracy to be an idea in some books. I want what we have, I want this system, this experiment, as Bono calls it, this American experiment, I want it to be alive for my kid and her kids, if she has kids. And we gotta make hard choices and have effective leadership and rule of law and, and and so it just seems very frivolous to be hung up on the aesthetics of I like him, I don't like her just not not important. That's what I tell him. Uh, are asking on the jr poll do you ever uh, eat cereal for dinner there's a reason for that question Uh, we're going to see how you voted and explain that coming up here kurt is on the jack riccardi show on ktsa hi kurt
6: (laughs) hey hey jack how are you uh of course, I eat breakfast for dinner. It's all—it's the best, yeah. It's, and bacon, you know, sausage, uh, eggs. I
1: knew you Not were all, my kind of guy, bell. Kurt. I
6: knew yeah, it. All the bell. I mean, you can't go wrong. You know, little cheese. a Okay, so one hundred percent. It's the best. You know, it's like it's a anyway. But what I called to t- talk to you about—you hit on you hit—you mentioned something. Maybe uh, I was coming home from work about maybe about an hour and a half ago, and you said that uh, you know Biden has done. So I'm kind of shifting gears a little bit but uh but it's so part of the parlay of the the evening's conversation that biden has basically done everything undone everything that the trump administration has done and it just and and i've been thinking about this for a while and you finally hit on it not not that you not that i was waiting for you to hit on it but you you really you really you really hit the nail on the head something i've been thinking of it's it's like uh Donald Trump is such an outsider allegedly that they wanted to do they wanted it's like a kid with in a sandbox you know they're like ah no 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 you can't have my toy anymore you know and then does that make sense you know Biden mm-hmm. and his administration is like no you you we're going to do it different you know I, I, this is my toy he's he's yeah. he's he's, yeah. He's, been, he's been neglecting it and you really hit on it and I I just want to echo that back to you because you really hit it. Finally, they I defined heard, the they time.
1: defined their policies as we're going to do the opposite of everything he did, which is Pretty insane. Pretty much,
6: right? You see, you see the same way I am. Yes, yep. It's 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 despicable. Yep. And what's funny is even at even at even at, even at the at the uh, 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 at the. Uh, 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 even if it means that that people such as Len- Lincoln Riley lose her life, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's, just, it's disgusting. You know, it's just disgusting. It's just like no, oh, no, no, we ain't gonna do it that way. You're an outsider, Donald Trump. So I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: I was gonna say that they. No, you're right. I mean, they they've come to the point. Biden rhetorically is now at the point where he's saying, we need to secure the border, and I need the Republicans to help me. But when he started. His whole premise was everything they've done is wrong, and I'm going to undo it on day one. What, who Who are you, man? I mean, do you believe in anything? I mean, do you think no, we've no. forgotten? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's but maybe, I don't know, it's maybe horrible. people have forgotten. I guess we're about to find out, right? I guess
6: so. I guess so. Yeah.
1: Kurt, it's good to hear from you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for calling. I Always good to, to hear your voice. Uh, 210-599-5555. Anybody that meets... You know, breakfast foods for dinner. We can be friends. I, I'm good with that. No, I mean, it, look. It, this used to be. Here's Grandpa telling an old story again. Back in the old days, this used to there used to be no daylight on this issue. You'd have hawks and doves and pro-amnesty and hardline on immigration in both parties. And around election time, if it came up at all, which sometimes it didn't, the the two political parties, the 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 candidates for the D's and the R's would compete to sound to see who could sound most like dialed in and locked down on, you know, illegal immigrants taking your job and uh, feeding into crime or whatever it was. Well. Part of that was the old Democratic Party coalition. It was a, it was a coalition of, uh, blue collar workers, you know, labor union members, but people that were kind of like lunch bucket Democrats. Part of it was, um, that the, the Democratic base, if you will, was in, um, places where illegal immigration to whatever extent it was happening, hit first and hit hardest. Remember, of course, that at one time, Texas was a very, very democratic state. It was practically a one-party state. So that's how it was. And you couldn't have imagined it would be the number one issue between two the two competing political parties, quote-unquote, if they are, Because they were like shoulder to shoulder. There was a pragmatism about it. And uh, if anything, this will sound crazy to you if you're under a certain age. Reagan, of all people, the archetype of conservatism, was seen as kind of a squish on border security. He had these romanticized notions it's a nation of immigrants. And he drove people in the conservative movement crazy. The National Review people, the think tank people. And he got conned by Tip O'Neill and Ted Kennedy on a massive immigration bill. It's really the last time we've had a, an omnibus bipartisan immigration bill. But now what's happened which is truly unbelievable, is that one political party has embraced the idea that, although they don't call it an open border, all the effects of and, and you know, byproducts of a border that isn't secure and can be crossed and is being crossed by millions of people, that, that that's all gonna work out for them. They're not promising it'll work out for you gonna work out for them. And they're hoping that they can pull this off in a window of time before you really notice it, feel it, hold them accountable for it. And by the way, the minute you realize in large numbers that this is a bad deal, they'll be blaming it on the Republicans. I I can write this script. You can see how this is gonna work. They're gonna say when the act of terrorism occurs when the numbers start to not add up, whatever it might be, oh, well, Trump weakened our immigration system with all his racist talk and his failure to get along with our hemisphere partners and... um you know, the system's broken because Republicans keep it that way, and they've controlled Congress for most of the last X number of years, and they won't fix immigration laws, and we begged them for money, and they wouldn't do it, and we offered them deals, and they wouldn't take them, and, 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 you know, they changed speakers like other people change underwear, and they weren't serious, and that's that's what the Democrats, once they realize that you realize how awful this is, believe me, The narrative is already written. (laughs) It's gonna be, the the script has already been written. This will be the Republicans' uh, failure on immigration. I don't know what to do about that other than just tell you that's what's coming. I really believe that. Uh, But again, it, it is kind of hard to believe that we would debate protecting the country and its citizens. It's hard to believe, and it's sad to see that we're so cynical that Lake and Riley is just a collateral damage for their policy. It's just, well, it happens. And we had a quote from Katie Porter, the California congresswoman, who, in so many words, told CNN, it's a tragedy. She said all the right things. It's tragedy. It's sad. We grieve for the family. But we can't let this impact our policy it's it's one death it's one case you know they they used to say if it saves one life but i guess now it's it's only one life so i am optimistic i just on this particular moment i probably don't sound it um all right on the jr poll today powered by river city oral surgery do you ever eat cereal for dinner 77% said yes, 23% don't know what they're missing. We'll have a new JR poll question tomorrow. We'll get started uh, when we go live at 4 here on KTSA, or you can find the show anytime as a podcast. Go to KTSA.com, pull down the On Demand uh, tab, I guess is the word. Um, you can also find our podcast where you probably get some of your other podcasts. I went through my baseball card collection recently just to kind of organize it, and I don't actively collect them anymore, and I don't really do anything with it. It was like, you know, something I had when I was a kid. It's in a couple of like shoe boxes, and it was about 98% baseball cards. I'd forgotten that there are card collectible cards for everything, you know, there's NBA cards and Major League uh, Baseball cards, Major League Soccer cards, NHL cards, Star Wars, everything. So I was reading today that somebody in, I think, I think, uh, this auction was in Canada. Somebody paid $3.7 million for an unopened case of NHL collector's cards from 1979. So in other words, this was a a carton that never got opened, so the individual packages never got opened. It's probably the way they shipped to a store. 3.7 million. And the reason for that is that that many cards, however many are in there, I guess it's thousands, probably has several Wayne Gretzky rookie cards. And that's one of the biggest gets in terms of card collectors. So the person is sort of... This is sort of like the collectible card version of... You know that show where people buy storage containers and they don't know what's in it? What's that called? Storage Wars, I think. And so people bid on on an unopened storage container before they know, allegedly, before they know what's in it. I guess that's what this is. Uh, The person that bought it uh, is hoping and counting on it having the Gretzky cards. I don't know what those are worth, but apparently if there's enough of them, this person's going to come out ahead. So, I wish him luck. A lot of gum to chew. A lot of cards to go through. They're probably doing that right now. See you back here tomorrow live at four. Have a great night.